a Texas cattle rancher goes vegan. That's what we're going to unpack in today's episode. Two, two, two rowdy vegans, 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 two, two rowdy vegans, one plus one equals two rowdy vegans. Well, welcome to... I'm Renee. This I'm is... Ryuji. Who are you? Ryuji. Ryuji, and we are... The two... Rowdy... Vegans. Yeah. And Renee, who is our rowdy guest today? Our rowdy guest happens to be my one and only love of my life, Tommy. Tommy Sonnen. Tommy is the cattle rancher who transformed, well, <laughs> Renee's husband. So Renee went, so you went vegan. Yes, I and did. And you transformed this cattle ranch into a vegan sanctuary. And uh, Tommy, so you're the rancher behind all this. You know what? And it's going to be really interesting, I'll tell you. I've never interviewed my husband. <laughs> I live with him. So I, I was thinking about this today when we talked about doing it. I said, wow, I get to interview Tommy. All right. And this is great because we've had the story in this podcast uh, through Renee's perspective. And I think it would be awesome to have it through Tommy's perspective. So, Tommy, to introduce us real quick, can you walk us through your story, what's happened, and how this situation came about? I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but it's been a wild ride. It started uh, about five, six, seven years ago when Renee started getting upset with me selling calves. She moved in here. I already had a ranch, small ranch, ran about 25 head of cows, sold about 20 uh, calves a year, and she didn't like it from the very get-go. Uh, she wanted to move to Houston, um, and I didn't want to, and we decided to, uh, make a go at our second, uh, marriage right here in Angleton, Texas, at the small ranch. We did. We tried to make a go of it. We did make a go of it. So when, when did you notice that I I first started having trouble? Uh, at the very beginning. So what do you remember me? I'm just curious. The first time I sold cows, Renee watched me do it, I think. And she really didn't uh, have an affinity for it. She uh, watched, but uh, I could tell she didn't like it. And then when she saw the cows' uh, reactions to their calves being sold, uh, she really didn't like it. Uh, They start... Uh, calling for their calves and they keep doing that till they lose their voice that's a typical thing and Renee just couldn't understand how I could uh, you know go on with life with uh, the mothers bellowing for their their babies and basically it was just what we've always done and I tried to tell Renee how do you think you get that filet mignon you like so much uh, it didn't help too much but uh, she kept eating meat, and I kept selling cows for four or five years until she really got nuts about it. And uh, that was the beginning of us uh, changing our lives. Uh, first, it was Renee trying to take me down the humane uh, pathway because 
she didn't think we should be eating meat out of the stores. We should be eating our own meat. And she had a dairy that she got milk from that had the cow's name on a piece of tape on the lid. And I didn't like it. But I acquired a taste for it, just like I acquired a taste for being vegan. Uh, it just kind of grew on me. And uh, then all of a sudden, she was saying, no, we're not drinking this anymore. I'm going vegan. And uh, and that was really uh, the start to uh, the wild ride. Uh, she went vegan October 31st, 2014. I hadn't sold calves for about... Eight months, February 2014 was the last time I sold me, and uh, we had a bunch out here that uh, didn't have enough grass, and they were trying to escape out onto the highway, and they'd come back and forth, and it was driving the cops crazy, it was driving me crazy. Uh, they'd never go out on the highway itself, they'd just graze along the highway, and then somebody would come up, me or the cops, and yell at them, and they'd slip right back in. The main one was... Uh, Houdini. Houdini. And Houdini got her name from my rancher friends. Driving down the road, they call me and say, Tommy, you better go out and help the cops that Houdini cows out there again. And that happened to be Renee's calf. Uh, she had uh, bought Rowdy Girl, raised it on a bottle. Uh, I thought she was joining my cattle operation, and it turned out she was... Uh, Raising her first uh, family member. <laughs> That's so true. I called her Dini my granddaughter. Yeah. And then uh, Ratty Girl had uh, a baby. Uh, I think I called it Whiteface until uh, my friends uh, put the name on it, uh, Houdini. And because she could, she could literally come right through the fence. I mean, you you could be looking at her on the other other side of the fence. And just like that, she would appear on the other side. Her mother taught her that. Rowdy Girl did that when she was younger. Anyway, Renee is vegan. Her calf is causing havoc. Uh, the cops are threatened to find me. And I gave them Renee's card and said, find Renee. She's gone vegan, won't let me sell the calves. Yeah. So when I told Renee that, uh, because she wasn't here when the, the lady was going to find me and I gave her Renee's card. Uh, <laughs> true story. Yeah. Well, very true. Anyway, I told Renee and she goes, what are we going to do? And I said, well, the only uh, wire fence, you know, net fencing we had was around the hay compound. We put them in the hay compound, then they commenced eating all the hay. This was just before winter of 2014, and they were doing a pretty good job of eating hay. Renee was vegan. I was not, and I uh, wasn't real happy about it. Uh, I was loving that time. Well, she was vegan, but she didn't know what she was doing. And then uh, I went to try to sell calves because there were too many of them out there for, you know, the land I had and the uh, hay I had and the fences I had at that time. And so we were fighting a lot because I was trying to catch them and load them and take them away and she was blocking me. And uh, when we had the big fight by the red trailer, 
And she said that she was going to follow me to the cell bar. She was going to buy them back with my credit card. She was going to, if she couldn't buy them back, I was going to be the most embarrassed person in the county because she was going to go to jail and I was going to have to bail her out. And that's when I threw my hat on the ground, I think, and started stomping around, yelling, screaming, get out of my blankety blank business. I said, I'm going to sell the whole herd. I'm getting out of the business. I figured the divorce was on. This was the second time we were married. We had said we could work through anything, but this was uh, pretty trying. So she goes, well, if you're going to sell them, why don't you sell them to me? And I thought that was uh, laughable. I didn't think she could do it. Uh, And I wasn't going to give them up at that time because I wasn't vegan. And I had a lot of money into these uh, animals uh, with all the hay equipment uh, that I had notes on. Uh, But... I didn't figure she could do it. So I said, all right, I'll sell them to you for a reasonable price. And uh, I said, $30,000. In December of 2014, cows were at an all-time high. And you could, you know, sell them at top prices. Uh, She said, okay. And I figured within two weeks, we'd be back to... uh, you know, regular business, uh, arguing about me selling the calves because she couldn't collect the money and I knew she didn't have it pull out of a bank account or anything. And so it started working. She started raising money. I don't know how she really did it. Well, I do now. I didn't then. Um, and I couldn't really go back on my word because I, I just don't do that. Uh, if I bid a job and it's, uh, too cheap I just eat it and so she had five or six thousand dollars in the first week or two and so I couldn't go back on my word and anyway I didn't know what I was going to do at that point but uh, I still wasn't thinking I was going to become vegan uh, that that was a process that probably took uh, about well I was pissed for about two or three weeks uh, real pissed and then it, it kind of it was slowly started uh you know easing up as i started meeting more vegans uh i slowly got converted actually and uh, first it was for my health uh dr cullen campbell was a big influence on me Uh, i lost a little bit of weight pretty good amount of weight actually i started feeling better Uh, my dad had died of a heart attack when he was 62 probably one of the big reasons that uh, I started eating like she was eating. But I really didn't like the, the taste of anything I was eating, so I started cooking for myself a lot of potatoes, onions, and peppers. And, uh, you know, it was, I was doing pretty good. I'd sneak off to the Sonic and have a uh, grilled cheese and uh, sneak off a lot of places and get ice cream. <laughs> But other than that, you couldn't have it in the house. From December, uh, from uh, sometime in January of 2015 <coughs> till May 2nd, 2015, I was a uh, vegetarian. And we had a festival down here. And on May 2nd, our first Rowdy Girl Sanctuary Festival. And I was seeing all these vegans come in, you know, uh, some some people, you know, that are really, uh, you know, kind of famous in the vegan world. 
and they were talking to me and I was actually uh, opening my mind to uh, uh, the truth environmentally, uh, physically, and uh, you know, even the compassion for the animals. Uh, first it was health and then it was environment and then it was compassion, you know. And, all I, and the only way I can put it is uh, after I became vegan, I realized that uh, I didn't have to drop them off at the cell barn with their big eyes looking at me like I was uh, deserting them. Uh, you know, I was the only person that they knew. I was the only possibility they had, uh, and I was just leaving them there. I didn't have to do that anymore, and that mm -hmm. felt good. Mm. So going way, way back, when you first got into ranching, why did you choose to go into ranching? Because I knew that that's not what you did for a long time. Well, you know, in, in this part of Texas, if, you, if you've got a pretty good job, and I had a pretty good job at Dow, I've been working uh, since I was 15 years old, uh, never had more than two weeks off uh, since I was 15, got on with Dow Chemical, and what I started seeing uh, other than my family and every, and most of the people that I knew that raised cows, I was seeing that a, a lot of people that had expendable income uh, bought land. And basically, if you buy land in Texas and you don't run cows on it, uh, you're faced with higher taxes. And so it's really hard to own a big piece of land in Texas and not do something. You can grow pecans, uh, you can cut hay, uh, you can raise cows. Um, and I was a big hunter in my youth and I, I had land previous to this ranch that, uh, you know, I built fences on, leased out for, uh, you know. You leased it to uh, well, deer hunters, right? No, I, I leased land to people that ran cows. I leased land to people that raised goats uh, because I was just interested in, in in the hunting aspect at that time. Uh, so you leased our land injection? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I did. And uh, my great-grandfather... Uh, was born in 1859 in San Antonio, Texas. As he grew up, he became a rancher. Uh, didn't even have to own your own land back in those days. You just branded the, the cows and they were yours. They could uh, run anywhere on the open range. It was the law. I never knew him. He died in 1936. Uh, he had a slaughterhouse in Houston. He had a slaughterhouse in Alvin after the Great Depression. Lost everything in Houston. Uh, moved to Alvin at, at that point, and their operation wasn't that big in Alvin. But it, you know, it was in the family. You know, uh, my dad uh, was never a rancher per se, but he was a big hunter, and he knew how to uh, take care of himself. If uh, there was another depression, I guarantee uh, any of the Sonnens would be big survivors because they knew how to grow a garden, catch a fish, and uh, skin a deer, or whatever they had to do to survive. Uh, and I was brought up that way, and 
all I can say now is that we don't have to survive anymore. You can go to the grocery store anywhere and you can take your pick of uh, a healthy vegan diet or you can take a pick of a unhealthy meat eater's diet. I'm really so shocked sometimes when I really know, because I know the kind of man you are. I mean... Uh... Well, you know, what I've noticed in my 62 years, I guess, or almost 62 years, is that as the hunters get older, they quit hunting. Uh, I had quit losing, you know, I'd lost my desire really to kill animals before I became a vegan. I, I enjoyed watching them. I just uh, didn't feel like pulling the trigger. And uh, that was, you know, the same thing I had seen with my dad and my grandfather. They, they never obviously were never vegans or anything but they did uh hunt a lot and as they got older they uh just watched them and i don't know i think uh that at a certain point in your life if you live long enough you start feeling uh <clears throat> compassion for all the animals out there uh, that you have uh, uh, taken advantage of for so long and so you start cutting them some slack <laughs> And I think uh, becoming a vegan it w for me was a process, you know, like I said, vegetarian first and, and, you know, it was more for health in the beginning. And then it was more for, uh, wow, we're destroying the world. This is the right thing to do. And the animals just get the fringe benefit of that for the most part. Uh, I certainly never enjoyed you know, killing animals uh, and, and never wanted to be an active part of, uh, you know, that factory farming. And I didn't think I was, uh, you know, until I started looking at it uh, in, in the rearview mirror. And, and I always had more respect for somebody that could actually kill the animal they were going to eat than for somebody that went to the store, bought the little pretty packages, and then would uh, call deer hunters, bambi killers, and all that. Uh, because a, a lot of people I know uh, hunt for meat, they don't hunt for the horns. And, you know, I, I do, uh, I have more respect for them than the people that go to the store and just no, don't don't show me that film. I don't want to see anything about a slaughterhouse. Uh, you know, it's a you're ending a life when you eat meat. No matter if you go into the store and you buy it in a package, or you go out in the woods and you shoot one. Uh, what's worse, I'm not sure. Even though I was a big hunter, I have never in my life had the urge to kill a rhino or an elephant or a leopard or a tiger. Uh, it was, if you killed anything, you ate it. And if you didn't eat it, it was almost sacrilegious. Hunters are not people that go out and shoot an animal that is in a little pen uh, and all those animals that were had the horns in the living room were uh, a part of uh, my past life. 
my grandfather killed an elk in 1947, and uh, they always said, uh, you know, when I'd ask them how many points their deer had, they'd say, you can't eat them horns. But for some reason, they never threw them away. You know, they're always put off on the fence over here or back in the barn over here. And uh, <clears throat> they provided uh, the memory of uh, the time that that animal was taken. And, and it, it wasn't about the animal dying. It was about the time that you had with the people around you. And uh, I was telling Renee that those horns uh, were memories. And I know a lot of people can't understand that, but uh, there's a lot of hunters that are not bad people. There's a lot of hunters that are assholes. I know that. And But there there's different kinds of hunters. Yeah, it's interesting that, that, you know, because, I mean, I was married to him the first time and used to go to our place in Junction. And I would actually get on the tree while they were skinning the deer and watch. I was very... Uh, um, what is it? I was real curious about all the different cavities in the body and this and that and the other, right? I mean, it was just like real curiosity. But that, but that, and I was, I would hang out with all his friends, uh, you know, that were there. And he would take me to the deer blind. And, um, but I remember he was going to teach me how to shoot a gun and try to hunt, you know. But I couldn't do it. Renee would go to the deer blind and a deer would come out and she'd go, shh, shh, shh. I go try to move them. <laughs> I try to get him to go away. Yeah. So he didn't want to take me anymore. You know, there's a lot of different aspects to hunting. and But, but you know, one of the big deals is that in 1900, most of the animals, the big game animals in the United States had been killed out. Uh, the population was super low. Uh, the frontiersmen, you know, would shoot them. Uh, you know, they almost decimated the buffalo. Well, they almost did that to everything. And Teddy Roosevelt and then uh, the Wildlife Service and all that uh, started regulating hunting. And the, to this day, there are so many deer across this country. It's incredible. And, and most of the hunters I know, you know, and I'm not defending them at all, but most of them will say, you know, they've got to be hunted to be managed properly and all that. What we really need is uh, we need uh, to get some of these giant cattle ranches that are uh, in giant wheat farms that are growing wheat for the cows to go back to uh, the wild. And we need to let some predators come back and uh, we need to save the... Uh, the country for the animals. Yeah, there's a lot of deer, but there aren't very many predators. And it's not, uh, it, it, it doesn't work uh, without the predators. And then ranchers don't want the predators. Uh, well, of course not. They, they want everything to stay the same. And it's obvious things aren't gonna stay the same. Uh, we're the tip of the spear. And, you know, I've, I've got the background I've got, 
Uh, I can't change that. Uh, but what, when I say we're the tip of the spear is the ranchers may not know it, but it's coming. This world is changing. It's either going to change for the better or we're going to stay doing exactly what we're doing and we're going to destroy everything. And, I, I, you know, the handwriting's on the wall. I firmly believe that. Uh, you know, I've done the things in the past that I've done and uh, I've learned from them. And, you know, we, I am where I am and the world is where it is. Uh, we just got to get a few more people <laughs> every year and they've got to get a few more people and uh, that believe what we believe so that we can save this world. Hmm. I am so curious about something that you said way earlier, actually. And you were talking about how, you know, it's very typical that when you take away the calves, the mothers will bellow. And then, like, when you take them to the cell barn, they'll look at you and you're the only person that they know. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, within the ranching community, when you would hang out with your rancher friends, or would you talk about that? Like, how would you talk? Would you address that no. at all? Or No. It, you just wouldn't talk about it? No. But everyone knew that it was happening? Like... Because I, like, I, didn't, I didn't know until today that it was, like, typical. I, I was like, okay, I guess it happens, but, like, it makes sense now that, now that you say it, but, like... You know, back from my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, you do what you have to do to survive back then. We don't have to do all that stuff anymore. They, you know, I'm a firm believer. Renee doesn't, you know, she thinks that we should have been vegan in 1850, you know? <laughs> here on the plains of the United States. Uh, but anyway, to answer that question, uh, most ranchers are not going to let any kind of compassion show uh, when they're taking their cows to the cell because it's something that's got to be done. They've got to do that to get the check, to pay for the equipment, to pay for the feed, to pay for the taxes on the land, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, the government has made it easier for ranchers uh, to make a living in a lot of ways. They, they give a lot of subsidies that keep the burgers at Burger King down to, what, a dollar if you buy the cheap ones or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's right. I think we, we need to, uh, if we're going to give subsidies, why don't we give them to the organic uh, farmers, etc. But... The ranchers will show their compassion when the cow has the calf that uh, is suffering, that that dropped in the cold uh, winter night in the rain. They're going to go out and try to do whatever they can to save it, uh, and take very good care of it. And it's they're not doing it just for the money. They're doing it because that animal needs care. But then later on. The other uh, side kicks in, you know, it's a business too. And they're going to do what they have to do because you can't, like I was running 25 cows on this piece of property and that was probably a little bit too much because uh, unless I cut my own hay and I did, I'm, I probably made more money selling hay than I did uh, cows. Uh, but it all wound up that I was probably making two or three dollars an hour uh, and working at Dow Chemical for 50 hours a week and cutting hay and taking care of cows for 
another 50 hours a week. Uh, you know, it's not something that a, a small ranch, you know, it isn't easy. Uh, but I was looking at retirement as a supplement to my retirement. It wouldn't be a lot of money, but it would have been a nice little supplement. But uh, I actually retired about uh, a month before Renee came vegan, and so that you know that ended that uh, little supplement real fast. Uh, and I, you know, if I if I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now. When she said, well, why don't I buy your cows? I'd have said, well, why don't I just donate them to you? <laughs> because, uh, you know, 30000 in the scheme of things uh, for starting Rowdy Girl Sanctuary has been a drop in the bucket. Um, I know that got off the subject, but no, ranchers have a lot of compassion for their animals. They just don't show it when they're doing their business at the cell bar. Mm, and they don't talk about it between themselves either. Oh no! And see, that's what's no. that's why whenever I went vegan as a rancher's wife, and uh, we started getting all this t attention, uh, our story landed in the living rooms of ranchers and hunters, and they're watching and they're relating, and so we're actually expressing uh, a sentiment, feeling, emotion that every every rancher family feels. Well, for the most part, but they don't talk about it. And here we were talking about it on TV. Let me put it this way. In this process of Renee becoming humane, then watching all the slaughterhouse videos, and then becoming vegan, and then me becoming vegetarian vegan, <clears throat> uh, in that process somewhere, you know, she was calling me a murderer, and she was still eating meat. And I said, well, you're calling me a murderer, You've got Chick-fil-A bags on the floorboard of your vehicle, a Volkswagen at the time, I think. And you've also got, uh, you know, your favorite food is a filet mignon. I'm thinking you're calling me a murderer. Well, where do you think it comes from, Renee? And so ranchers are thinking the same thing, you know. Hey, we're, we're feeding America. Uh, where do you think your food comes from? Uh, they don't think about the crazy vegans that are eating uh, tofu, and that, they probably think about it now because it's getting so prevalent, but they're, they're still thinking, most of them are still thinking they're doing a good thing for the country. This piece is real important. This is why the Rancher Advocacy Program happened. See, this is, this is why ranchers are going to change. It's because they are seeing our other side of our story in their living rooms. So to cap this off, like for you, where do you think you're going and like, how do you see yourself being a part of, a part of like Rowdy Girl moving forward and, and like, what do you see for the future for this place? Well, I want to see Rowdy Girl stable so that when me and Renee die, it doesn't stop. I want the, all the animals that are here, I want them to be protected. And like I said, I think we're the tip of the spear. I think it's going to keep growing to a point where uh, sanctuaries are going to be all over the place. They're going to saturate and then there's not going to be any more because there's so many of them. And there's going to be so many people uh, eating a healthy vegan lifestyle that uh, 
you know, things are going to change. Uh, the subsidies will probably start going to uh, better energy sources, uh, better food sources without having to grow all the grains to feed all the cows to uh, feed a few people. And I just want Rowdy Girl Sanctuary to be my legacy because I want to leave this earth a little bit better than when I got here, or at least from my standpoint, my carbon footprint or whatever you want to call it. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. We appreciate it so much. This is so interesting to see that perspective because it's something that we don't often see in the community. Um, there are a lot of things that we just don't know. Like for me, like when I hear things like, oh, like the, you know, the mothers like cry for their babies and stuff like that. Like, I don't really know what that means, but hearing it from your perspective kind of really sheds light on a lot of things that, I mean, I just did, I personally didn't know because I just wasn't exposed to it. So uh, that was incredible. But anyways, thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We have been the two rowdy vegan. Until next time, peace. Peace out. Two, two, two rowdy vegans. 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 Two, two. Two rowdy begins, one plus one equals two rowdy begins. <laughs> <laughs>